How far do you have to read in the Word of God to be told about the origin of heaven and earth? First verse. First verse, first sentence. We know that God created the heaven and the earth. How far do you have to read to know that it took six days and six nights for all things to be created? A few more verses. If anyone ever tries to tell you that there's a gap theory between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 and there's some quant billion years in between the two of them, which is a common theory today, just go to Exodus chapter 20 where it says, In six days and six nights the Lord made heaven and earth and all that in them is. There is no gap between the creation of heaven and earth and all the things that are in the earth. How far do you have to read to know that the seven-day week that the entire world observes is given to us by God. Just a few more verses. I want you to think about the seven-day week. Now, I've mentioned it to you before. We have days because the sun dictates days and nights. We have years because the sun and our relationship to it dictates years. We have months because of the moon. But where did seven days come from? From a revelation of God, it is a secret. We know where it came from. They do not. They just think that we're keeping seven days for whatever reason. It was a convenient number. We know that God gave us a seven-day week. How far do we have to read to find out where death came from? You get to the third chapter out of 1169, and you know that 1189, you know that uh, we, where death came from because Adam ate the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The world doesn't know where death came from. True. We know where death came from. Genesis chapter 3. Right. How far do you have to read to know how old the earth is? Now, that's a, that's a pretty important question. Listen, are there men that spend their whole lives yeah. and millions and millions of dollars to find out how old the earth is? Yeah, yeah. All you got to do is get into Genesis chapter 5 and trace the genealogy from Adam to Noah and then after the flood from Noah down to Jesus Christ to find out that there's only 4,040 years from the creation of Adam until the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Just a few chapters, and we know that. It's a secret. We know it. It's hidden wisdom of God revealed to us. How far do you have to read to know where the Grand Canyon came from? Don't we run into that in the first few chapters? This this book has 1,189 chapters. I'm simple. I am overwhelmed when I think about the secrets that are revealed in just a few chapters. Right. Do you know what you normally have to do? You have to pour all the way through the thing to get to the end to find out some of the main mysteries of a book. But here in the beginning, we're told about the origin of the world, how long it took to make it, how long it's been here, where death came from, and why we have the Grand Canyon. Right. The Grand Canyon simply a little water runoff. Where'd the rainbow come from? We preached on that. You children know where the rainbow came from, don't you? Do you know, Daniel, where the rainbow came from? Yes. And men just think that it's the refraction of light caused by water uh, molecules, and we know where it came from. God set his bow in the clouds. We could go on for a long time. I'll give you one more. Where'd all the languages come from? Babel. Babel. Does English look like Chinese to you? I hope it doesn't look like Chinese to you. 
It's so different. The languages are so different. Where did so many different languages come from? Because God divided the tongues of the Tower of Babel. Now, those are mysteries that we know about the origin of the world, that God made all things, that death came because man wanted to transgress the law of God and bring death upon himself and all of his descendants, the rainbows in the clouds, because God put it there. These are mysteries. The world doesn't know about them. Do you want to start walking down the streets of Bombay and asking how many people know where the rainbow came from? Do you want to walk down the streets of Calcutta and ask them why we have a seven-day week? It's not in the writings of Mahatma Gandhi or Confucius. It's the Word of God. Now, enough about that. Let's get to some real mysteries. You want to hear some real mysteries? The virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Just let me run through a little list. This is why this sermon could last for the rest of my life. And it wouldn't be a bad way to end it. The virgin birth, election, resurrection of the body, predestination, hell, promise of eternal life, incarnation of Jesus Christ, glorification, the everlasting covenant, adoption, the book of life, regeneration, vicarious death, forgiveness of sins, particular redemption, heaven, sanctification, eternal inheritance, and anything else that we could list. Those are hidden to man. He would never figure them out in a thousand years, and God's revealed them to us, and they're the real reason I wanted to preach this series to you. Jesus Christ and him crucified. I think it's pretty exciting to know the origin of the world that God created the heaven and the earth, and in six days all the things that are in them. However, I think it's much more exciting to know that before he created the heavens and the earth, he knew that our Father was going to sin, and so he purposed to save us, and he ordained us and predestinated us to eternal life by the sacrifice of his Son for us. And that Son he would send into this world would be conceived mysteriously in the womb of a virgin. And we can go on and on. How does God become flesh? How did the Word of God and human flesh become joined together without controversy? Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. There's so many, so many mysteries. John looked in the book of Revelation and saw that scarlet-covered whore sitting on the back of a beast, and he wondered with great admiration. That's a mystery to most people, isn't it? Is it a mystery to us? It's a church. A church in heresy. A church enemy of Jesus Christ and his saints. The Catholic Church. And we could look at many different mysteries like that, but the ones we want to see, not the mystery of iniquity that's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We know that to be the Pope's also. We want to see the mysteries that are in Christ Jesus. Ready? 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, we're going to get to practice a mystery in a few minutes. I wish we were in the streets of Bombay right now so that we could practice in a few minutes so that we could practice one of the mysteries of our faith in front of them all. When clothed people go into the water and one person takes the other person and stuffs them under and then pulls them back out, nobody gets upset and other people watch. Rejoice. Isn't that crazy? There are beautiful pictures in it. I love the doctrine of baptism. I love it because it says so much about my Savior and about what he's done for me and what he's going to do for me. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. We can't read this whole chapter. It took me an hour and 15 minutes to preach at one time. And, and as usual, I was cutting myself short then. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. Do you want a mystery? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Isn't that wonderful? That's a mystery. The rest of the world doesn't know about it. Here's a problem for our children. This is a problem. I, it, it, it came up this week in my house with my children. Because we live in a country, in a nation, that calls itself nominally Christian, our children think. And because if the TV's been turned off for the most part, and you bring them to church most of the time, they think everybody knows all these things. And it is a shame. It's a shame that they don't know the truth, that hardly anyone knows these things. Right. And I encountered that in my own family this past week. Doesn't everyone know that? Is baptism simple enough, kids? Do we all know that we're supposed to lay people under the water and raise them back up for a picture of burial and resurrection? Why do 95% of those that call themselves Christians not be able to figure that out? They still sprinkle a little bit of water on the forehead. Let alone the rest of the world. They don't even know what the word baptism means. The rest of the world does not believe these things. Just go out and stand in a street corner and start talking about election, reprobation, predestination, and the promise of eternal life and see what happens to you in America. Right. So we've got to teach our children the blessings that we have. They cannot go through life thinking that everybody believes these things. Right. Or the first time they get out and tell someone that God hates sinners and is angry with the wicked every day, they're going to find out what the world really believes. I don't mean the Christian world really believes. Not much of anything. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. What he's saying here is that not everyone is going to have to die because a few are going to be left when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, but we're all going to be changed, including those that don't have to die. Their bodies need to be changed also. We shall all be changed. And the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians is that these vile, corrupt, decaying, weak, ugly, pitiful bodies are going to be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ and we're going to be given glorious, strong, immortal bodies that will last forever in eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ to worship Him forever and ever. Amen. It's a mystery. The rest of the world does not know about it. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's one of the pictures of baptism, isn't it? Because we believe that though this body dies and you lay me in a cemetery, I have a Savior that's coming back for me that is going to rip me out of that ground and give me a glorified body forever. There's no Indian that's ever heard that message unless it came straight from apostolic descent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because no man has ever dreamed that up. No man can ever discover that. They can't find it. It's not revealed by looking at the stars long enough. You can't sit cross-legged and look into the eyes of a cobra. It doesn't come that way. It's from the Word of God. And it's a blessing that I get to share with you. I tell you a mystery. We recently stood in a, in a building in Simpson Fountain Inn. And some of you fathers led your children up to a casket. And I, I saw you take their hands and put the hand in there to touch that clay body of Clarence Carnell. Amen. 
And you know what? We did that with hope. There was, that room was filled with hope. Right. And the afternoon that the Lord sent his angels down from heaven to take him to heaven, and we sat in the room around that body before it had ever been touched or anything, just laying there in his pajamas, there was, the room was filled with hope because of this right here. I show you a mystery. We know what's going to happen to our bodies. They're going to be changed. I can't go through 1 Corinthians 15, but it goes through in vague detail, in vague detail describing it because it's beyond description of what it's going to be. All Paul can say is, do you know how that the sun is a little different than a tree? Do you know things like that? Well, that's what it's going to be like when we get our glorified body. And I'm not trying to be funny. How else do you, do you tell it? It's just going to be a great transformation, but it's a mystery. We believe it. God has revealed it to us. He's told us about it. And Jesus Christ secured it for us Amen. because he's the first fruits of them that slept. Right. It's already happened to him and he's going to come back and do it for us. And he will not leave our bodies in the ground. We are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. He is going to redeem our bodies. If anybody thinks Jesus Christ has only died for our souls and our spirit, they're wrong. He died for all three parts of our being. He's got us all, and he loves us all. He loves all of us, all three parts of us, and he's going to save us from sin. He has saved us. He just hasn't revealed it finally to the universe yet. We just go to sleep in Jesus. That is a mystery of the gospel. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Some of you are figuring out one surprise, aren't you? A gospel surprise. A mystery of our faith. Ephesians chapter 1, brethren. I'm going to read a number of verses, but you've got to follow with me. You have got to follow along with me. I do not have time to preach Ephesians chapter 1. But I'm going to emphasize by my voice some of the words that I want you to pick up on as I read through a number of verses because it's going to tell you in the context that all of this is a mystery revealed of God's will. Because we want to look at it right now as secret things of God's purpose that he had in his mind before he created Adam. And these are things ordained for our glory. Beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him 
who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. Amen. Ephesians 1, 3 through 12. Brethren, it tells me in verse 8 that God hath abounded toward us. That means he's been full. He's been plentiful. He's been merciful. He has buried us. He has buried us in all wisdom and prudence. The wisdom of his will, not the wisdom of figuring out calculus 101. That isn't wisdom. Right. I mean wisdom of how do I display my love and my mercy and my grace and my goodness and my kindness to this universe. How do I do it? I save wretched men and I predestinate them to be my sons and I send my son and I make them accepted in the beloved. That is just an, a super abundant wisdom of God. That's what verse 8 is telling us. He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. A virgin birth, because he's got to have a man that can die for us. But the man cannot be connected to Adam, or the man is going to have his own sins. And so the man must be born of a virgin, to be disconnected from Adam, to be connected to God, but he's still flesh, so that he can die in the place of sinful men. He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Right. We've come into this passage before. We've wanted to see election. We've wanted to see predestination. But right now I want to show you that it was a secret of God's purpose in the creation of all things. Right. All of this is for a display of his superabundant wisdom and prudence. That he could design a plan to save wretched sinful men, bypass the angels, and make us his sons joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen. What did I just say? If it wasn't for faith, we'd quit. It's too much. It's, it, it is too much. It's an overload of my, my, my ability to even think about it, let alone every time I come and try to tell you about it. It's too much. Right. We read these words and we say, oh yeah, there's the proof of election. This is the superabundant wisdom and love of God toward us, purposed in Christ Jesus before the world began. But what I want you to know is that it is the mystery of his will right. because it's an eternal purpose that he had in his own mind. Do you know what most of the world thinks that believes the Bible a little bit? God created, God made man, man sinned, God had a problem. God made Jesus Christ to solve the problem. To offer salvation back to Adam and Eve and all their descendants who blew it the first time to give them a second chance. And if you're really modern, he's going to come again and scare you with the Antichrist, then he'll give you a third chance. Oh, yeah. He'll scare you with the Antichrist, and if you can get saved during the tribulation period. That's what it's called. But see, none of that's true. God had an eternal purpose in his mind. Right. How many pagans have wished they could ever know their God? When there's nothing to know, because they were worshiping the stump of a tree. God has told us his mind. Right. 
the superabundance of his wisdom and prudence in his eternal purpose in saving us. The good pleasure of his will. It was a mystery and a secret. The vast majority of the hundred billion that have populated this planet have lived and died without knowing anything about the will of God. And this is the secret will of God, and he's revealed it. This is part of the secret will of God, now revealed to us to know and to rejoice in it. Ephesians chapter 1. Ideally, we would stop and go through this and take every word and do this to it. And what would flow out of that verse is honey. Right. How about the words accepted in the beloved? Could we think on those words and get any blessing from them? Amen. Do you fathers ever sit down at night and wonder, what in the world can I read to the kids? Well, there's 1,189 chapters, and I know that a number of hundreds of them are more difficult than others. Just go to Ephesians chapter 1 and just think on some of these words. Accepted in the Beloved. The middle of verse 5. I've got a brother in here that whenever he sends me an email, he, he always says closes it out, your adopted brother. Well, I look in the middle of verse 5, and it says adoption of children. Right. Adoption of children. Can you think on that for longer than 15 seconds? Yep. To be adopted by God? To be adopted by God? What kind of a home does he have? Don't children want to know what kind of a home they're going to be living in? Is he loving? Will he be loving versus the father that I didn't really have? Is he rich? Will he be able to show me good things? How long will his love last? Can we think on it at all? And it's all right here, and it's all a mystery, because you can never know any of these things without the preaching of his word. Right. I have a horrible job. Come over to chapter 3. Same book, Ephesians chapter 3. I don't, you know, I'm leaping over in an eternal inheritance and all the things that are listed. Forgiveness of sins. Can we wring the forgiveness of sins at all? Amen. Without the revelation of Scripture, we don't even know about sin, except that we're always afraid. But then we learn about sin, and we learn that sin deserves death, and that sin and death eventually end up in the second death in hell. But there's forgiveness of sins. This God forgives sins. Amen. And we don't have to offer him our firstborn like the rest of the world thinks because he offered his firstborn. Amen. Now that's a mystery. And that's a blessing. And we ought to love the word of God and Amen. love what's communicated to us here. These are the mysteries of the gospel. He gave his only begotten son so that we could live and also be his sons and the forgiveness of sins. On and on it goes, Ephesians 1. Let's come to chapter 3. Chapter 3, I'm going to read some verses again. I want you to notice how much of this has been kept secret, and you know it. Chapter, verse, chapter 3, verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation... He made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, 
which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Amen. Is that two sermons by itself? What a passage. What a passage of scripture. But what I want you to get of it in this series is this. It's been kept hid. But you know about it. I know about it. What a blessing we have. How many times is the word mystery used in Ephesians 3? And kept secret from the foundation of the world, but now it's being revealed to us, and it's according to an eternal purpose. Do you know we're one of the very few churches in the world that truly believe that our salvation is based on an eternal purpose, not an eternal offer, an eternal purpose. They don't even know salvation that offer it because it's not an offering. It is a predestinated thing, and it's according to an eternal purpose, and he's going to lose none of them. But it's been revealed now by the prophets and apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit. The unsearchable riches of Christ that all men might see, not all men, but not all men without any discrimination, but all sorts of men that are God's elect, that fear God and want to hear the truth, that they all might see the unsearchable riches of Christ that has been given to us. If you can't go through these verses and pull out little chunks of honeycomb and find them sweet to your taste and valuable in your estimation, what is wrong with your soul? What is wrong with my soul? Ephesians 3, the mystery of God revealed that Jesus Christ had an eternal purpose in, in saving us. Before the world began, it's been kept secret from the vast majority of men. But now it's made known by his prophets and apostles. He said, as I wrote afore in a few words, see, we read already what was written afore in a few words. He's referring to chapters 1 and 2 because chapter 2 is telling us Gentiles that yes, God had an eternal purpose for us also. That we were once without God and without hope in the world, but he's included us also. Why? Why us? We're nothing. I fit right into the first three verses of chapter 2 better than I fit anywhere else. Walking according to the course of this world, but by His grace. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. This is a great mystery. This is a great mystery. You're reading down through Ephesians chapter 5. You start out with the wives in verse 22. You run into the husband in verse 23. 
And you find out about this perfect husband that would take care of his wife perfectly. And you come to the end and he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. In this picture of a perfect marriage, you should be able to look through it and see the love that Jesus Christ has for his church and the unity that they have in one another. Because the last words were, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, in verse 30. There is a union between Jesus Christ and his elect that is a mystery that a close picture of it is looking at a perfect marriage and seeing the perfect love that that a husband has for his wife, the love that a husband would show toward his wife that would be like the love he shows toward himself, cherishing and nourishing her, and that's the Lord, the church, and we are, and verse 30 just blows me away, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Now, we can look at a marriage and we understand what it means when the two shall become one flesh. I can can understand that. But I come into this chapter and I see this. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. That is describing a unity that I don't fully grasp yet. And so I take comfort in the words that Paul would say. It is a great mystery. But it's describing a unity and a union and a love and affection and bond that's unbelievable. Then he has to jump back to the practicality of our marriages by saying in verse 33, Nevertheless, I I was getting excited over here looking at the best marriage, the real marriage, the one that we should be most excited about. Then he has, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife. Do you see that? Amen. Paul would love to be here with us. Yes, he, would. he gets carried away a lot. And if you read him carefully, you'll see him getting carried away. Did you see him get carried away this morning? He finishes the epistle, and then he tacks on three verses, and the three verses that he tacks on are, wow! Right. And here he is. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, brethren. Are we the fullness of him that filleth all in all? Never mind. Are we the fullness of him that filleth all in all? Amen. Is he complete without us? No. Is Jesus Christ complete without us? No. No. He's chosen to be incomplete without us because by his eternal purpose, he has purposed that we would be heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ and his brothers, his children, his body, his flesh, and his bones. We are united to him, and he's not going to lose part of himself. You think someone's going to come and pick on his wife? On and on it goes. Can you go into chapter 5 and find something to polish and look at? One of the mysteries of God. Chapter 6, I showed you that already this evening when we looked at our memory verses, Paul says in verse 18 that we ought to be praying for one another. And he says in verse 19, For me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. The reason it's called the mystery of the gospel, even though we're preaching it plainly, is because it is unknown to other men, natural men. It has been unknown to other generations. And it would be unknown unless it was preached. And God opens the eyes to see and to hear it. And unless Paul is able to make it and to speak it boldly, it won't be known. But it can be and is when ministers are faithful to the Word of God. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. 
You're not going to find this in a Petri dish under a microscope. <laughs> You're not going to find this with the biggest telescope staring off into space. Right. None of, none of this. Listen to these words. Colossians 1, 21. And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now listen, that's incredible. We were his enemies by wicked works in our minds. We were God-haters. And God came into the the mess of this world and looked at a bunch of God-haters, and he chose us, and he has reconciled us to himself through the body of the flesh of Christ through death to present us holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. We were his enemies, and he's made us unblameable. And I want to tell you something. That, ver- that word is not to be modified in the legal sense. We are unblameable and unreprovable and absolutely holy in his sight. When God looks at us, he sees the Lord Jesus Christ by the covenant transaction of the eternal purpose of his own will and what Jesus did on the cross. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel... Which ye have hurt, that's how you know that you're one of those reconciled ones, if you're not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Right. Which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. Paul said, I want to suffer for his church, just like he suffered. I'm going to fill up the rest of the sufferings for the body of Jesus Christ. Whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God. And what does it mean to fulfill the word of God? Even the mystery, which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is a mystery that's being revealed. It's the hope of glory. It's the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. The riches of the glory. Now those are good words. We all want to be rich. We all want to be glorious. But in in the true sense of riches and glory, here it is. It's by the preaching of the gospel, by a dispensation given to Paul to make these things known to God's saints because they were hid in verse 26 from ages and from generations, but now they are made manifest. That is clearly understood to his saints. To whom? Verse 27, that is to the saints. God would make known. He wants you to know the riches of the mystery of the glory of what's in Jesus Christ. This is the true wisdom of God. This is the preaching of the cross. And when men that have been born again hear this message, they know that it's the true riches. So that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. But unto us, but unto them that are called, both Jews and Greeks, the preaching of the cross is Christ, the power and wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 and verse 24. And so look at Paul's life. If you had a charge like that, how would you work? 
Well, this is what he says. Whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Amen. That's Paul's job description there and how hard he works. And look what he's revealing. It's all in Jesus Christ, brethren. And here's what happens. I'm reading you some of the, the most precious information that has ever been conveyed on planet Earth and ever will be conveyed anywhere in the universe. It's not because I'm special. It's because I'm called of Jesus Christ to do this and I can read. That's all. But I'm telling you these things. And do you know what I fear? I fear what I know about myself. At times, these things are dull. And do you know what's happened? We've let this world and our flesh and Satan get us distracted enough that this is these riches and this glory is not the overwhelming purpose for our whole lives. Right. The overwhelming treasure of our souls. So what do we have to do? What I've been preaching for a year and a half, it's time to go back, get down, Confess your sins to God for being distracted. Beg him to come to you again, to send his spirit, to open up the eyes of your understanding right. that you might see these things freshly again, because this is unbelievable. Amen. And you want to call me and tell me that you got a 10% raise? <laughs> come on. I want to hear about your 10% raises. You know what I'm saying, don't you? Amen. We get excited about the dumbest little things. Amen. I've lost 10 pounds. Wow. Did you forget about the heavenly body you're going to get that you're never going to have to diet? Right. I'm in the flesh also, brethren. But these are the true riches, and this is the true glory. Right. And this is what we ought to love the most. Amen. Then, brethren, if you've got to stay home from work, I've said it before, if you've got to stay home, and get in your closet and get down with this on your knees and put this out before the Lord, just like Hezekiah did a letter. If you think I'm being too literalistic, you haven't read the Bible. Right. Hezekiah got it down on the floor. Spread this page open, read it to the Lord, and tell him you want to love those things more because it's obvious to you they're the most precious things in the universe, but your heart is cold. Did David ever have a cold heart in the Psalms? Yeah. Yes. Did he pray for it to go away, for the Lord to come back and restore him again? Quicken me. Quicken my affections toward thy word. You ever heard those words before? Go read Psalm 119. Half the verses in there are promises that he wants to obey, and the other half are, please help me do it, to see the glory. And so that's what we need to do. Then we need to sing some songs. First track, third CD, 101 hymns. A little medley of... Come, Christians, join your songs. Brethren, we have met to worship. Rejoice, the Lord is King. It works for me. 100 decibels. 12 feet away in front of the speakers. Lord, here I come. It works for me. Maybe it'll work for you. Colossians 2. Verse 1, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts, here's Paul's conflict for saints, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches 
of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. There is no preaching that can compete with outlining and explaining and reminding you of these things right here. Right. Right there. In Jesus Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, because in Jesus Christ is the wisest, most prudent, most knowledgeable plan, purpose, and design ever imagined for the salvation of his people. And look at chapter 2, that their hearts might be comforted and knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. See, when I read these, when I read these, I just want to grab every one. Assurance. Assurance is so wonderful. Assurance is a wonderful thing. And so you go into this verse and you just get the word assurance, but do you know what Paul does? He just pounds us with adjectives around it. Because just plain assurance isn't enough for Paul. It's not enough for the Lord. It's the riches of full assurance. Amen. That, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together because this is the blessing of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Who would know by looking up at the stars that God is a father and has a son and has made you his children? That's wisdom that's revealed through the scriptures and through the preaching of his word. Chapter 4, same book. Chapter 4. Continue, verse 2, Colossians 4, 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. There it is again. For which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. To be bold and to make it plain. That's what a minister always wants to do, to be bold and plain. Come over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. What's the hope of reincarnation? A giraffe, if you like height? An elephant, if you like strength? What's the hope? What hope? Hope. 100 billion people since Adam. Most of them have died without hope. Lived and died without hope. Look at this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You'd never learn that by looking at the stars or anything else. The fatherhood of God and the sonship of Jesus Christ is known only by revelation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, our hope of our resurrection has substance to it. It has life in it because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. They did everything they could to secure that tomb. There were soldiers in that cemetery to make sure that the dead did not come forth from that grave, and he still came forth. Blessed be this God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, because he hath begotten us to an inheritance incorruptible. That means it never fades away, it never rusts, and it's never stolen and undefiled, it's perfectly holy and beautiful and glorious, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith 
unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If it's only ready to be revealed in the last time, that means it's been a mystery. That means it hasn't been very well known because it's ready to be revealed. Because it hasn't been seen yet. Now Paul went and saw things that could not be uttered. But we have some things that are coming for us and they're reserved. Right. If someone made a great reservation for you but never told you about it, what good would that do you? God has made a great reservation for us and he tells us about it. And it's the mystery of the gospel. You wouldn't find that looking anywhere. You can't go out and walk through the forest and lofty mountain grandeur and find out about the inheritance that God has reserved for us. We, we find that about it through the preaching of His Word. And brethren, I hope you love it. Amen. I hope you love it. And if you go on and read a chapter like 1 Peter chapter 1, you're going to come down where it says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. If we once lived sinful lives because we were ignorant, now we should be living totally different lives because we know so much. The Lord has shown us so much. We ought to be living as his dear children. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. There'll be more on this subject. Amen.